We can be found on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Like, share, subscribe, and leave us a comment down below. Now, on with the show. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. Fucking thing. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Right. Fuck it. Death Holler is a horror cast created by two true horror fans to bring to the table your favorite horror films. Topics include, but are not limited to, historical horror, gore, the occult, and terror. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, so for the Christmas season, I don't know how much uh, horror things you've gotten into, but have you uh, actually, besides researching things for the podcast, have you uh, delved into anything else besides that? I actually feel like I've been watching more horror during the Christmas season than I have during the Halloween season, if you believe that. I can believe it because I, I feel like... It's getting close at this point for myself, but uh, what have you been watching? Um, Okay, so I've been watching Evil again, like we previously discussed. Okay. But the funny thing is, and uh, wait, have you seen Evil? No, I I was going to start it the other day, but then I don't, I just, I started watching a bunch of different movies and stuff for the holiday season and just never, you know, including horror themed Christmas things and just never got into it. Well, I'm not going to spoil anything regardless, but so there is this demon in evil and it, he is horrifically hilarious. So it's like both. He is horrifying and hilarious, both kind of at the same time, really gets under your fucking skin. He's pretty cool. And so the other night my husband was watching it and I fell asleep. So lucky me, I got to dream, because you know I'm a dreamer. I got to dream (laughs) about what he was watching, and it was not fun. I will tell you that much. So he's a little intimidating demon, so fuck you, George. I don't like you, but you're funny, too, at the same time. But as you and I have kind of discussed a little bit, there's a lot of fucking horrific, horrible, horrific, scary, dark, history behind a lot of Christmas movies. There is quite a bit. It's, it's, I don't know. It, it kind of, you wouldn't think the themes would go together, but they go together like, uh, you know, peanut butter and jelly or, you know, uh, like Reese's peanut butter cups with chocolate and peanut butter. I mean, it's, they, they go hand in hand. It seems like. So yeah, I, you and I had discussed basically how the nightmare before Christmas was a really kind of a good introductory film to kind of get maybe, the younger audience into starting to watch maybe scary movies. It, it bridges the gap. I mean, it's it's you know childlike enough and you know whimsical enough without playing too much in the dark, but it also has that dark element to you know kind of ease them into it. It's 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 a good starter film for sure. Yeah. Uh, what films have you been watching this holiday season? Well, I always have go-tos for the holiday season. Of course, Gremlins is is at the top of the list. I mean, oh my god, yes. It um, 
we'll get into it later in the discussion of, of this, you know, actual show, but it's, it's, uh, the perfect, I mean, just combination of the, you know, the, the Christmassy elements or whatever, but mixed with the, the crazy, you know, it, it, you know, creatures and, and horror themes. And I, I, and it wraps up so many other Christmassy films inside of it. I mean, you know, that's, it's, it's, I mean, there's even, the name of the place in that movie is even based upon it's a wonderful life. I mean, it's, it's, it's just great. So, um, it's, it's a riff on it at least. It's not the same, but, um, I watched that and, um, just last night I watched the original, um, I believe Black Christmas. Not a great film, but it's it's interesting. I, I started watching the the new one the other day. I just never completed it. I felt like it at the beginning at least it leaned a little bit too far into the I don't know the SJW you know woke stuff, and I'm I'm hoping oh. that it doesn't you know go that direction for the rest of the movie. But you know I, that's kind of where I left it at. I don't recall ever seeing you mentioned this movie, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Not sure if I've seen that. I, I've I've honestly never seen it myself, and that's probably I mean anybody who's listening to this that's you know like us big horror fans is probably shocked. But I mean it, it's one that's on my list to watch. It's just it never really appealed to me just for the fact that it's you know kind of one of those movies which you know also plays in our discussion today. It's one of those you know some crazy guy in a Santa Claus outfit you know chasing people down and killing them i just never i don't know there's just something about that that never really struck me as like that intriguing you know as far as the actual plot i feel like that's kind of the theme of black christmas um it might be um the the original black christmas you don't even really see anybody for most of the film it's a lot of sorority girls uh getting lewd phone calls from some creeper and then they you know and then they start getting killed by somebody off screen, it's kind of like, um, well, I watched it on um, The Last Drive-In, you know, Joe Bob Briggs, and he even discussed it. It's like kind of the proto-slasher movie. It's like you don't really see who the killer is through most of it. It's not, It doesn't really go through the same slasher themes, even though there is a final girl in it, but... I don't know. It's just a really odd movie. It's, I mean, they they tried to make it more mysterious than it needed to be, and I, I don't know. It 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 didn't resonate with me as much as you know. I guess it does with some other fans. Okay, see, I'm mistaking my movies. Black Christmas. Yes, I've seen that one, but I have seen, and I know it's not Silent Night, Deadly Night. I have seen a Santa slasher film, and shame on me for not having the name of that film. But basically, it was. People at home, God, I, I I swear I'm mixing Black Christmas and this one, but a bunch of people in a home, maybe even sorority, and there was a Santa just picking these people off. So, ooh, shame on There's me. There's another film it's that I, that he started. Um, he actually had like a Joe Bob had. I mean, uh, last night just he he had a new uh, holiday special for Christmas. And he started playing a movie that I've never seen before that, you know, he says is great called A Christmas Evil or Christmas Evil. And that, I don't know if that's what you're talking about. I never really got in. I had to stop watching before I could, you know, really get into the movie. So I don't know if that kind of plays in what you're talking about. You know what? I don't know. I'm checking right now. Let's see. God, maybe he had an axe. So that could be it. I want to confirm. I mean, obviously, I want to verify that before I just confirm and say, yes, that was it. But I've seen some Santa slashers. But moving on from that, we talked about also about 
Christmas classic films that had horror elements to them. Oh, yeah. I mean, just there's a lot of films that in the, the Christmas holiday season that, that have little tinges of it that you don't really even think about. I mean, the one that comes to my mind all the time is the one from, you know, a Christmas or a Christmas vacation, National Lampoon's Christmas vacation, where, you know, obviously Clark comes out. He's getting ready to saw up the tree that he just, you know, uh, yanked up out of the forest. And he's got on the hockey mask and he revs the engine up, you know, on the Looking on the like Jason Voorhees. Yeah. And I mean, it's, and just the way they <laughs> framed it, it's dark at night. I mean, just the, even the music around that scene, they're clearly playing into the horror element of that, you know, that whole scene. And of course, you know, they have to follow it up with a quick little bit of comedy, which I love where it's like, uh, I think was next door neighbors, douchey next door neighbors, like, uh, what are you going to do with that Griswold? And he's like, bend over and I'll show you. You know, it's like, I just, I love that scene. <laughs> I love that film so much. It's one of my favorites. And then, oh, tell me about this. I have never heard about the fan theory about the devil in Home Alone. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's a scene in the movie when Kevin's mom is trying to make his, uh, make her way back to uh, Chicago and she is at, it, it's it's in the United States. She's at an airport, and like there apparently there's no more bookings. She can't get anything, and she's like really freaking out. She has to make it back home to Kevin, and she makes this off ball. In the scene, they frame it to where uh, John Candy's character is like in the distance. You can see him in the background. He's kind of one of the customers behind her, but she has this comment where she. Um, she basically offhandly says, I would sell my soul to the devil right now if I could make it back home to my son or something similar to that. And all of a sudden he just walks right up and like, well, you know, we got a way to get you there. Come on with us, you know, and oh, it's shit. I never noticed that. And it's it's so perfect when the, the fan theory on Reddit, whenever the, the, the poster described it, I mean, it fits he even I think it's in Scranton. Because he goes on to say that where that particular event occurred is actually a crossroads at the um, the airport, and it's you know basically meaning that John Candy is a is a crossroads demon, and he basically oh, takes shit. her up on her offer, and and just like you know the crossroad demon mythology, uh, it turns out at the end of the movie if she just waited, she would have never had to make the deal with the devil anyways because the rest of the family shows up just minutes after she does. So the irony is she sold her soul for literally nothing, if you believe the theory. Yeah, and isn't that how it usually goes? That's exactly how it goes. So it just fits oh so God. well. I mean, how I, do I, people have time for this stuff? <laughs> I, I swear I never catch shit like this. I, I mean, it makes I, sense when I hear about it. Yeah, I mean, it... I, I never once thought of it, but whenever you read it, you're just like, "Oh my God, that's perfect." I mean, it. it I mean, in my head canon now, that's. Ex I mean, it's sadly what happens in the movie. I mean, not you know, just having to add that you know a little bit of a horror element to the movie, but it just it fits so perfectly. Yeah, and it's such a fun, friendly family movie. You would never even consider. Most people wouldn't. Excuse me, except for creepers like us. <laughs> Now, one, I specifically waited to discuss this for the holiday season, you know, movies that are kind of have a creepy element to them for the holiday season, and that is Christmas Carol. Yeah, that that movie in particular, or even the book, I mean, if you want to get right back to it, I mean, we're, you know, we'll get into the history of, you know, obviously Krampus and some of that stuff later in the in the show, but... That, that story is like one of the oldest um, 
horror-themed Christmas stories in existence, and, and nobody even really even considers it that now because it's just so much in the public mind that they don't even, you know, even think about it. I mean, it's like, oh, you know, there's three ghosts, whatever. He, Scrooge learns his lesson, but I mean... It's really dark whenever you look at the end of it, you know, the theme that's going on, what actually happens in the movie. I mean, the things that, you know, how the ghosts are portrayed, how they, you know, especially, I mean, Jacob Marley himself, I mean, you know, a lot of people are like, why has he got that? You know, some of the older forms have him with this like bandage wrapped around his head and it was like tied in a, you know, knot on top. And they're like, why has he got that on there? That's so, you know, that's so dumb. But if you go back to it, back in Victorian times, he actually, they they did that to keep the the jaws uh, from going slack on the corpses when they were buried. So basically, that shows that he is in fact dead, and he's returned from the grave, and he still got the knot tied around his head to hold his, you know, keep his chin from basically lolling out. So it's uh, it's uh, there, there's a lot of dark stuff in that. Well, and the funny thing is, in terms of, and I'm gonna bring up a Jim Carrey one. The, so probably the most recent Christmas Carol is nobody ever talks about how creepy that film is. I have not seen one person ever say, hey, this movie's creepy. But you'll get people that'll be like, oh, Nightmare Before Christmas. That's a little scary. I don't let my kids watch that. Uh, Coraline is real creepy. I don't let my kids watch that. And I'm like, have you seen this movie? I mean, my kids love it. And if my kids love it, you know it's creepy. <laughs> so that that is the that is what's happening in this house if the kids love it it's creepy there's something scary there's violence happening i'm sorry that's just who i am but yeah christmas carol nobody ever talks about how fucking creepy the ghosts were in that film it it was so well done i love that film well and and the thing is too is that i mean i think the reason is because it's been diluted over time i mean you've got like the different versions of it you know which we'll get into in a, another season, but I mean, you've got the, you know, the Muppet version, you've got the uh, Disney version that's got Scrooge McDuck in it. I mean, it's, uh, and, and they're all watered down to the point that it kind of, you know, belays that a little bit. The only one in modern history, besides the one you're talking about, or recent history that I can think of that actually leans into the horror element, and it's a movie I love and one that I've watched recently, going back into movies that I've seen, is Scrooge, the one with Bill Murray back from the 80s. And, I mean, they really, really lean into the horror element, uh, especially later. I mean, first of all, when, you know, his former boss shows up and how they play the whole he's, you know, a, you know, return from the dead element because he's basically a zombie and with flaking skin and all that stuff. But then later in the movie, when the ghost of Christmas future comes in, he's got literal souls like trapped inside of his robe. I mean, it's they really lean hard in that movie, especially with the Elfman score, Danny Elfman. Uh, going back into the Nightmare Before Christmas and all that, Elfman, you know, lent this uh, great score to the movie that added to the creep factor, and I, I think it went back more to the roots of the story about how it's supposed to be a little bit creepier, a little bit more, you know, somber uh, feel than just this, you know, feel happy movie or whatever. So, yep, for sure. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. And with that discussion, I think it's time to get into the meat of, of what we're here to discuss. Uh, this is Death Holler, Episode 3, Krampus. Of course, I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. Death. Joining me via Spirit Box, you've already heard, is La Urena, discussing Christmas horror at its best. And I figure before we uh, really get into the bulk of this Krampus discussion that we should bring up a film that I saw recently that's 
Krampus based, but not quite uh, what I would consider the same quality as the one that we're going to discuss later in the podcast. So if it's all right with you, uh, Urena, I think I'll get into a Attack of the Bees real quick. So, for this episode, of, or this uh, particular version of Attack of the Bees, I would uh, watched a movie recently called Sleigh Bells. It was uh, released in 2018, and it's a very, very independently made movie. You can tell from the onset, just the way it's filmed, the just the general vibe of the movie. Anytime you discuss, or it appear, apparently any movie that you look at that's uh, Krampus-based that is not the Krampus from 2015, uh, directed by Michael Doherty, that we're going to get into later, if you're watching any of those movies, it's basically like you're playing Russian roulette with a loaded gun. You're you're gonna you're gonna guaranteed to get something that's pretty terrible, apparently. <laughs> so uh, this movie has um, several. Actresses I've never heard of before, and then a couple of actually, you know, bigger name people. I mean, but we have in this movie, we have Hannah Wagner, also known on the internet as Hannah Minx. She plays a character named Sadie. She's a former YouTube cosplayer uh, slash Japanese culture fan. That was her previous experience with anything before doing this and a few other independent horror movies back in 2012. A little bit of interesting trivia about her. She happens to be from Appalachia or close enough to it. She's uh, from Lexington, Kentucky, which I thought was interesting. Mm, okay. We have Christina Klebe, who plays Alexi in the movie. She's been in several different uh, independent uh, horror movies. The one that I, I know her most from is Tales of Halloween, which is a really good anthology movie, independent anthology movie for Halloween. She's also, uh, she was also a character in Rob Zombie's Halloween. Nice. And apparently she, she was apparently also a, an actress in the, the new Hellboy movie, which I have not seen and kind of refused to see because I feel like Ron Perlman did the most perfect version of that character and I just don't see any point in watching the remake. Wait, is the, is the new one the guy that is in um, Stranger Things? Stranger Things. Yeah, I kind of want to see it because yep. of him because I do like, I mean, yes, Ron Perlman will always be the ultimate Hellboy, but you got to admit that that actor from Stranger Things is a pretty decent actor. I, I love him as an actor. I just, but I, the only thing is, is that I just feel like the way they promoted it, he just looks really weird. And and I mean, it's the character because he just, I, I don't know, it just looks like a, maybe it fit the comics better. I mean, I, I never really read the comics extensively. I mean, they were a lot just random images with a few words here and there. So they never really appealed to me that, that much, but, um, he, I don't know. He just seemed too lean in the in the way they portrayed him, which is funny because he's a heavier guy in, in Stranger Things. So I, I don't know. It was kind of weird, but. Interesting. Yeah. And by the way, we are talking about David Harbour. Yes. That's his yeah. Name. David Harbour. Um, the next actress that's billed as one of the three leads in this movie uh, is uh, Susan Slaughter. She plays a character, Dahlia. And it's kind of a weird one. She was actually, I guess, a cast member uh, or of Ghost Hunters International and Ghost Hunters. I don't know if you ever saw those reality TV shows. Yes, I used to love those. Yeah, so she was um, she was involved with those prior to going and doing some independent horror films, so it's kind of interesting to, to see that she, you know, was in this. 
um, of the bigger names that we have in the movie, we have uh, Barry Bostwick uh, playing Santa in this movie. And he's, for horror fans, he's most notably uh, the, the guy who played the male lead in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, he also played, I guess it was the mayor in the show Spin City opposite uh, Michael J. Fox. And uh, he was also in Tales of Halloween playing a really, really fun character, uh, basically a version of Abaddon, who uh, causes a lot of... Uh, takes this little boy under his wing in, in that little part of the anthology and, and basically creates this uh, this little demon child, basically, because he just uh, encourages the kid to go around and cause as much mayhem as possible on Halloween night. And, I mean, it just gets worse and worse. Like, it just ramps up from, like, you know, just the traditional things like bottle rockets or something, you know, low grade to pure out murder at the end of it. And he's just gleeful that he's watching this mayhem, you know, uh, from this innocent that he's corrupted through the whole thing. It, it's, it's an interesting part of the anthology of that, but that's so sweet. We have Diane Salinger, uh, playing a character named Cherry in this. Uh, she's known for uh, Pee Wee's big adventure and, uh, <laughs> And she also plays in the uh, updated Paul Rubens uh, Netflix special, uh, Pee Wee's Big Holiday. So she she kind of came back for the you know the big grand finale for Pee Wee, I guess. Interesting. Um, we have a character or a, a actor I've never heard of, Joel uh, Hebner, playing Officer Anderson. It's a really bit part in the the movie and. I don't know. I'll get in that in a second. And, and rounding out the uh, main actors in, in the movie is Richard Mall, who I really shouldn't even list because he's not in the movie, but I, I have to list personally because uh, he, even though he plays this character named Officer Green, which you'd never know because it's just like this little intercut, like maybe five minutes of the whole movie, but Richard Mall is primarily known uh, on Night Court as playing the, you know, the the bailiff bull, you know, the big bald headed guy that just went around, you know, manhandling people. And, and, and he's, he's a great comedic actor, but they really don't use him at all in this movie. So I remember him. Yes. The basic plot of this movie is you, the three main leads, the, the three actresses, they, they play uh, these character, these, these girls that are part of a YouTube uh, channel called the adventure girls. And basically, they go around uh, doing urban exploring, you know, uh, going into areas that are abandoned and, you know, kind of just goofing off inside of them, uh, doing petty theft. You know, if there's anything cool in the area, they'll take it, you know, as like a souvenir of their, you know, little adventure. And generally posting selfies and, and you know, uh, dry humping random objects, apparently, according to the movie, <laughs> while let, let loud techno music plays in the background. So that is what it so is. So they're dry humping to the beat is what you're saying. Yeah, well, at least the uh, Hannah, you know, Wagner's character is, uh, Sadie. She's, they, they, even the other characters are like, oh my God, she's at it again. And she's just, I mean, any, there's, <laughs> she's just dry humping anything in, in, you know, sight for whatever reason. I don't know, but... I'm sure that will play in much later in the film. <laughs> uh, it, it does in a bad way. But um, so <laughs> they decide that they're going to investigate a uh, an abandoned Santa-themed amusement park. And, uh, Sounds like a terrible fucking idea. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't work out for them because, uh, which is playing into the fact that they are kind of petty thieves and, you know, do a little bit of klepto. They uh, mess around in the little workshop area of the amusement park after doing their dry humping, dancing the techno and all that sort of thing. 
and having the obligatory scenes where they have to out in the middle of nowhere, you know, just change clothes into these very revealing outfits. Uh, Susan uh, Slaughter being one of the only ones in the film to actually get semi-nude and shows her breast to everybody after they have a big scene where they all, you know, get ready to do their thing in skimpy uh, Christmas-themed outfits. They uh, they go into this workshop and they basically mess around and accidentally release Krampus from one of the items uh, inside of the workshop. And he uh, basically runs off and starts killing people. And this pisses off... Uh, the person who's been monitoring the park, which is a white trash biker who claims he is Santa Claus. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, Barry Bostwick and he's, you know, he's got the do rag on. He's got the, he's, I can't remember what he's got on the back of it. He's got like on the back of his biker jacket, he's like part of a gang and it's, it's Christmas themed. It's like, you know, Hills Reigns or I don't know. It's like something like that. It's, it's Christmas themed. But anyways, he tells girls that they've released Krampus and now it's up to him, you know, it's being, they're always fighting each other. It's up to him to be able to, you know, resolve the situation, but he needs their help. And of course they don't believe him. So to prove that he whips out his cane, take that as how you, how you will and uh, transforms. Oh <laughs> it's actually a cane, but it, you know, okay. <laughs> and uh, he transfers into or transforms into the more traditional Santa look and, that semi convinces the girls because, you know, there's a little cheesy pent film magical like effects or whatever that kind of surround this little transformation. But anyways, from there on in the movie, it's just a lot. I mean, there's a, you know, a few officers in the town. They're investigating the crimes. They, they have these scenes that are just dead in the water. I mean, they're, they're supposed to be comedic. They're not funny at all. They kind of take away from any kind of fun momentum that the scenes with Santa and the girls kind of build up. But uh, you've got them kind of investigating. You've got the girls and Santa, try, you know, trying their best to come up with a way to fight Krampus because the general conceit in this movie is that Krampus and Santa are tied to each other, not just, you know, in, in myth- mythology, but also physically somehow. Like, if you hurt Santa, you hurt Krampus and vice versa. So they can't kill Krampus without killing Santa Claus. So it's a lot of running around. It, it's, it's got one of the problems I have with... Um, independent a lot of independent horror films where you have a lot of meandering scenes where people are running around they'll do something it doesn't really do anything to further anything in the movie plot wise or to actually take care of the threat they run to another scene kind of the scooby-doo effect i guess you want to call it that just a bunch of people running around uh in circles not really accomplishing anything and they do that for a while and eventually at the end of the movie they they make the ultimate decision and it goes from there you know not to spoil it for anybody that wants to watch it but you know they they have to come to a conclusion about how to deal with this the things that are good about the movie is they actually for an independent film they actually have a decent design for Krampus they made him very bestial he looks like a combination of a goat and a yeti it's kind of a weird thing like i mean he's He's not really human-like in any way, shape, or form. It's just kind of like, I mean, he's like this hairy creature that got goat legs and that sort of thing. I think it's interesting, the lore they came up with, that Santa and Krampus are so tied together that, you know, they they basically exist because of each other. I think that's kind of neat. Yeah, I, I dig that. But the things that are bad about the film, just pretty much everything else about it. I mean, like I said, you got the uh, incoherent plot running in circles. You got 
the added shaky cam effect just to, you know, feel like you're really in the thick of things and all it does is kind of make you feel nauseous. You're like, what am I even looking at at this point? Oh, that might be somebody's, you know, that might be one of the girls' butts, oh, that, you know, or whatever. So there is uh, loads of obnoxious techno in the movie. I mean, it just scene after scene of just like loud, loud techno music. So if you like that, I guess that's your thing. Good on you. Some people might go to this looking for, you know, for the cheesecake shot. I mean, which they've got plenty and they're gratuitous about. I mean, you know, there's boobs in your face, butts being <laughs> shaken. You know, it, it's it's one of those films. I mean, they, they hired the three leads for a reason and it's, they're fairly attractive women. So, I mean, they, they try to put them out there for everybody to see and that's pretty much what you got with it. Like I said, Richard Maul was pointless in the movie. I don't even know why he agreed to do this, but looking on the IMDb forum, the poor guy's just degenerated from like those days of night court, and basically this is what he sort of does now, so whatever. I guess that's his bag. Whatever pays the bills, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I guess you get to a point and you have to take the, the work, but as far as the rating goes, I'm going to give this on the Nicolas Cage scale a gone in 60 seconds. Uh, it's ultimately a, f- a forgettable film, despite some some talented cast members, uh, you know, in the movie and, uh, the promise of a sex appeal. I mean, it's, you know, it's, you can get, I mean, if, if you're going to this for the cheesecake stuff, you're better off, you know, watching Cinemax at night or even going to Pornhub, you know, just, just don't waste your time with this. I do have one thing though to discuss, which is more interesting than the movie itself. And, it's the fact that, and cue the Unsolved Mysteries, you know, uh, music. I have this, uh, th- I found out during one of my research of this that Hannah Minks slash Hannah Wagner uh, disappeared right after filming this movie. It was actually filmed in like 2012 or 2013. I don't know why it took five, six, you know, five, six years to come out, but she disappeared right after this and didn't even show up to the New Year's Eve party with her other castmates. Uh, nobody involved in the movie or the horror film community in general, the indie horror film com- community, has heard anything about her in the time since this, you know, was filmed. The internet's put forth the, the you know, the theory that she uh, could have been killed. You know, that's one of the darker theories about it. Uh, there's others out there that that think, oh well. That's all, you know, that's hyperbolic. She, you know, the simple answer is she got married, had kids, and decided she didn't want to, you know, she wanted to distance herself from all this, you know, that she did before, but nobody knows. She just disappeared, and she's, if you look on her IMDb, she has done nothing since uh, when it comes to anything like this. Interesting. It does say she got married in 2014, but really not much after that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's just like she dropped off the face of the planet after that. But I mean, you know, if, if she's got a better life and, you know, outside all this, more power to her. I just, it's just an interesting thing that came up in, after researching this a little bit. The last thing I'll say about the movie is I, I really dig the cover they have to it on uh, Amazon Prime. It's kind of sad that they put, you know, that they got such a good cover for it on there and the movie is, is what it is. But that's Sleigh Bells. Anybody wants to watch it? More power to you, but I I don't recommend it. <laughs> Next up, we just got a quick news segment before we get into the discussion about Krampus. We didn't even want to do news. We didn't really think we had much. No, uh, didn't want to do... But then this happened. Yeah, we didn't want to do news at all because we wanted to get right into the meat of the discussion about this. But then 
or about Krampus, but then this news came out, and how can you not discuss this? This is awesome. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina uh, on Netflix, sadly, is coming to an end. Uh, I think it's December 31st. And the final part four of the show, you can't really call it a season because they're so, I mean, they're, they've taken seasons and broken them up, but part four will be the final part of the show, is uh, going to introduce the coven battling the eldritch horrors, which I they've been leading up to this, if you've watched the show at all, and I can't wait for this. I, I really hope they lean into the Cthulhu, you know, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft mythos when they do this because they've hinted at it, and I just think it would be awesome if they do. Um, yeah, definitely. They've said that each episode of The Aid will be them finding a new threat, so each episode... The way that it's reading is going to be devoted to its own elder chore that they're going to have to battle. And some late breaking news is doesn't really relate to that, but it's kind of odd is that Caroline Ray and uh, Beth Broderick, who played uh, Aunt Hilda and Zelda and Sabrina the Teenage Witch on ABC and CW, are going to return in episode four of this uh, last part to play Aunt Hilda and Zelda. I don't know how that's going to work unless they're maybe alternate realities are going to be mixed into this. I was this. just going to say, an alternate universe maybe of some sorts? It's, I mean, that, that's what they're hinting at. It has to be. I mean, because they, they said that they're not playing different characters. They are playing in Hilda and Zelda. I'm just wondering. They never said that they're getting Melissa Joan Hart to come back, but that would be kind of cool if there's at least some nod to that. I mean, you know. Yeah, that would be, I mean, I wouldn't be upset. It, it sounds a little cheesy because if you remember how cheesy the original Sabrina was. It was very cheesy. But People enjoyed it. Can, you know what? I just have one request. Can we fucking get Salem to talk, please? <laughs> before the show. That's all I want. Before the show ends, I think they need to harken back because I, I think, I don't recall, maybe maybe I missed it, but I, they have not hinted at like his demonic nature or anything about him since the fir- very first uh, season, if you want to, or very first part of this. I mean, do you remember anything about him uh, otherwise coming up since the show began? Um, he saved Sabrina's ass a few times. He has, but I mean, like, they, I, I think, if I remember right, on, like, the very first part, like, they showed this shadow of, like, what he kind of looks like, and it, it would be very cool if they, yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and you heard the whisper, and you're like, what the fuck is that? I was not expecting it to be Salem. Yeah, it, um, yeah, it's it's really cool. So, I don't know. I know a lot of people have talked about, hey, can we get Salem to talk? And I know they're probably not interested in that. I do like how they play Salem in the background where you haven't seen Salem for fucking episodes and all of a sudden something happens and here comes Salem and you're like, oh, thank God. One, the cat's still alive. Two, he's going to save her ass. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he's kind of the deus ex machina in some of these episodes just to kind of bring her back from the brink. Yeah, so I'm really excited. Look at before they even mentioned Aunt Hilda and Zelda, meaning the originals, Carolyn Ray and... uh, Beth Broderick, before they even mentioned them, I was already excited. I'm really sad that it's coming to an end. I don't know why Netflix likes to do that. They don't keep them for very long, but man, it's a, such a fucking good show. It is. It's it's a show that's a lot better than it should be given the, I mean, if, if you go back, and I hate saying this because there are elements of the first season, I mean, I'll probably catch flack for this uh, from some people, but Riverdale in its very first short season there was hints there that of a really, really good like Twin Peaks-esque show that was kind of going on. They kind of lean into the horror elements just a little bit. Uh, there was an episode in the second season, the Halloween episode, that was 
I, I, I loved it because it even hinted at like zombies in, in, in Greendale, which is where Sabrina's from. And they they just rolled all that over in the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and just kind of, and I don't know, I've, I've kind of uh, fallen off of Riverdale because of it because it just went more into teen drama. But there was those elements there that the creator of both shows because uh, he loves this stuff. I mean, in the comics, he you know he has uh, Afterlife with Archie. He has the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. All these dark themes, and he does them so well. And I just uh, and they've really translated well into this show on on uh, Netflix. And I hate to see it end. Yeah, and it's so the one thing I love about this show of everything. It is so fucking dark. Oh yeah, I mean they. They delve into things, I mean, you, you wouldn't even imagine, like they're hinting at cannibalism, uh, I think, in, in some of the earlier episodes, which the, the comics, granted, go into more detail with that stuff, but I mean, I never expected to even see that in the show at all, and they kind of hint at it, so I mean, it's... Yeah, I I started out letting letting my daughter watch this, and then I was like, yeah, maybe not right now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we shouldn't, uh, you know, and I'm thankful for that, look. Got to have stuff that I can enjoy, too. My kids, they get to enjoy a lot. But this was a little bit much for her at her age, so we'll wait a little bit. I'm not that terrible of a mom. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I think it's one of those things where you need to let them age into it a little bit more. It's it's definitely not the ages they're at. It's not, it's not, oh, yeah. not things I would get into. I hope that some other network picks this up. I mean, I don't know if, if they will, but I, I would like to see somebody else. You know, obviously Disney's not going to. I mean, they, they have a hard time even doing anything darker on their own network at all. I think they're branching out now to some kind of thing where Disney Plus and some kind of other service are going to be together. I don't know. It's a weird thing that Disney's oh, doing. And, uh, Am- I, I, look at I'll if, if another network picks it up, that's great, but please not the CW. No, no. If if it goes to that, <laughs> you might as well just say the show ended like this, which if they ended the right way, this might be enough. I, I hate, I mean, I don't want to say that, but I mean, if the show does a good enough sh- job wrapping everything up, especially after introducing eldritch horror type things, I'm fine with it. I mean, you can't go much bigger than that anyways. I mean, that was one of the biggest aggravations I had with Supernatural even hinting at the aspect of that being in the show because that's like the ultimate bad and then they never went with it. They never did anything else with it. And it's like, come on, don't tease us with this. Don't go into that and potentially give the idea that it's out there and just never do anything else with it. So, Yeah, for real. Um, one quick addendum I want to give to everybody uh, that to the last episode, the Vivich or the Witch, is that... <laughs> I, I complete I don't know why this this slipped my memory because this is like this ties in so so much more in retrospect I mean than even some of the other stuff uh, the ergotamine derivatives that we have now uh, that you know are basically like these they just take a portion of the fungus like something it produces and like you know basically th- synthesize it one of the things that's been made into in in our you know recent history is LSD. That fits in perfectly with everything we discussed like last episode. I mean, like, just, you couldn't pick a better substance to describe some of the things that happened in, you know, uh, puritanical, you know, hysteria. So I think that, you know, was just an omission that, that needed to be addressed, so. See, this is why I was harking on you so much about this, saying, hey, look, I really agree with them saying that ergot was the reason well, obviously it started, definitely started at all, but man, yeah, they saw some funky ass shit, so it made sense to me. I had heard about this, 
I'm surprised you in your uh, line of work hadn't recalled that or I it was one of those <laughs> things where I just forgot I mean when I got to looking I'm like oh my god you know like head slap moment it's like oh of course you know LSD came from this stuff <laughs> you know so anyways it happens to the best of us apologies to everyone but you know at least we addressed it um and with having said that, I think uh, it's time to get into the bulk of the discussion for this episode. So you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. And I'm telling you why. The Christmas devil is coming to beat your ass with sticks and drag you to hell. That's right. We're talking about Krampus this episode. Um, and Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, I believe before we get into the discussion about the movie, it would be good for everybody to kind of have some kind of uh, idea about Krampus, although I'm hearing that maybe that's a little bit convoluted. So if you could possibly, Urena, give us a little bit of knowledge from the beyond, that would be great. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to try to break it down for you. Wiki wiki. Okay. So who is Krampus? I guess we'll start with that. He is described most often as half man, half goat. Like I said, he's Black Philip all grown up. <laughs> let's just let's just leave it at that i just don't want to get rid of that right there i want to keep that but he's a half man half goat figure that has most been described as a helper to santa which holy shit santa yep. you need to pay attention to who you hire yeah that's um, that's pretty interesting <laughs> some people have even uh described him as santa's cousin so, which is a possibility i mean you, everyone has a crazy ass cousin that, that's the side of the family nobody likes to talk about yeah, and Santa apparently hangs out with his cousin, so <laughs> whatnot. Uh, look at he, uh, Krampus. His job ultimately is to come punish the bad children uh, by beating them with birch sticks and dragging them to hell. Although sometimes these children return to hell or from hell, excuse me. Sometimes in certain folklore that I've been reading, they come back. And what kind of person are you after you have come back from hell I could, uh, from hanging out I, with Krampus? I can only imagine. Where you been at, little Johnny? Oh, Dad, I've just been to hell. <laughs> I've just been in hell, that's all. Yeah. And it was, so it's from season to season. So they got kidnapped around Christmas, and then they returned Christmas the following year. <laughs> A whole so, year in hell. Great. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but if you didn't return from hell, which uh, which is worse you are most likely eaten by Krampus. Oh, okay. So he's... <laughs> Meat's on the uh, menu tonight, gang. Oh, my goodness. So there's a lot to go into, and I'm just going to try to condense this as best as I can because looking into this, okay, what is the use of Krampus? Other than just scaring, you know, the little children into behaving... It goes a little bit deeper. Going into history, they talked a little bit about Christmas, and I don't think I need to say, maybe I do need to say for some people, we kind of know that Christmas was a stolen holiday from the pagans. And I'm not going to go into detail about that. That's for another discussion. We don't have enough time in a month to discuss that. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many details following that. But back in the olden days, Krampus, Krampus, yeah, Christmas was ultimately a like a carnival. It was a huge celebration, and people had to have their Christmas. Now, it wasn't always called Christmas. They had different celebrations, obviously winter solstice. Yule is the pagan 
basically what Christmas was prior. It's the yeah. Germanic, oh God, why can't I? The Germanic uh, paganism version of Christmas, yeah. which is basically original Christmas. Yeah, Christmas is an odd holiday. It's like three or four different pagan holidays all combined into one. A lot of people don't even realize that. I mean, you got Roman pagan holidays wrapped into it. Uh, Nordic or Germanic, you know, celebrations tied into it. Gaelic pagan rituals. I mean, it 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 runs the gamut. It it lumps them all in. No, it really does. And one of the ways it was described, and I was like, I could totally see this, is Christmas back in the day was kind of described like going to New Orleans during <laughs> Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras. Christmas was big Mardi Gras. So. You had people. Christmas, by the way, has been canceled so many times by so many different religions. Oh my! Yeah, it has. Especially, we'll go back into our last discussion. Puritans. They were so afraid of Christmas. They were so afraid that they were going to enjoy the celebration of Christmas that they had it canceled, so that you just stuck to the religious end of it. And it wasn't even just Puritans over here on the, you know, across the pond on our side of it. I mean, you know, there was Puritans over in England that tried canceling it. I mean. Oh, yeah. It has been canceled so many times. Now, the reason why Christmas ultimately it has not been canceled or is no longer canceled is because you had a lot of religious sects, if you will, that were like, okay, well, if the Puritans weren't celebrating Christmas, then what are the Catholics doing? You know, what's the Church of England doing? What are what are all these other, what are the pagans doing? So you would have people that would leave the church that they were a part of so they could go celebrate somewhere else. So other religions that had canceled Christmas, basically they were allowing Christmas so that they could keep their followers. So I, I that's an interesting history. I personally think just getting into that just shortly that... I think Christmas is, especially the time of year that it occurs, I think that it's there's something psychologically that's needed uh, why that holiday occurs when it does in so many different, you know, religious practices or not necessarily Christmas, but just holidays in general at this time of the year. You know, the, the days are shorter. I think people need a psychological boost, and I think it's just human nature that they need to celebrate to be able to just get through the dark times and... I think that anybody who tried to cancel it, you know, basically went against human nature. And that's why they ultimately failed, uh, you know, trying to do that. Oh, yeah. And you have to remember back then, too, times were a lot scarier. You couldn't just walk down the street or drive down the street to your local Walmart and pick up everything you would possibly need, you know, for a week, let alone months at a time. You were hunting your own food. You were making your own blankets. You know, it, it was a completely different time. So... I know they used a lot of fear, um, especially for the Christmas holiday. Uh, however you want to describe the Christmas holiday, because it's not always described as Christmas. <laughs> People were basically told that during the celebration, you stay indoors. And yes, it was to have a good time. It was to be around people. But they were also told that there were monsters outside or spirits or evil beings that would get you. And you would basically never be seen again. So fear, once again, is deeply rooted in a lot of beliefs behind everything we've come to know. And Christmas is no exception. Well, it kind of goes back to what we talked about last episode and how, you know, uh, Eggers, you know, the director of Vivich, uh, you know, uh, talked about whenever he was a child, he had those, uh, you know, fears about going to the woods because of witches. I mean, 
they all play into morality tales. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, you get those passed down to kind of scare people away from, I mean, because it's, it's a dangerous time of year or there's, you know, with the shorter days and all that. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a morality myth that people weave into it to kind of, you know, it's like, Oh, don't go out there. There's monsters out there, you know, to kind of, cause there's real world threats that they're trying to convey in like a more, you know, basic, you know, form to kind of get people to do the right thing and, for self-preservation, basically. Yeah, and that really hasn't gone away entirely. I mean, nowadays we don't have to worry about going out in the snow in the middle of the night and possibly not making it home, which probably not because of monsters, let's be honest. Maybe it could be a wild animal uh, at the worst, or maybe it's just too cold. Maybe you can't see where you're going and you don't make it home. So nowadays we've got the, uh, as you've read, the you better not... (laughs) You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. Also, the he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. That is fear that is used to make sure your children are not being little assholes <laughs> so that they can get the gifts that they want for Christmas. Santa Claus is big brother. Let's let's just admit it. I mean, he's, he's tapped in. He's watching everything you're doing. So, uh you know, don't, don't do anything that's going to, you know, get you that lump of coal or, or potentially a visit <laughs> from Krampus. I'm not going to look at, I'm not even going to pretend that I haven't used the, if I ask Santa, if you're lying to me right now, what's he going to tell me? And then I get the truth from my children. Look at, I've used it. I have no shame. It worked. Okay. And you know, it works even better now is Krampus. Maybe not for the 13 year old. The 13 year old be like, whatever, let him come over. I don't care. I, I would but imagine it. Yeah, I would imagine it would just because, I mean, they even, we'll get in that discussion about the actual, or the, about the film, but I mean, that, you know, that's, Krampus is, you know, well, you know, he's a better deterrent than Santa is. I oh, mean, he's, he's, time. he's, he's actually meeting out the, the actual punishment where Santa's like, yeah, I might give you some coal. It's like, well, at least I can light my fire with that. You know, that's got some use. No, no, Krampus is going to drag your ass to hell. I mean, come on. Oh, my God. Krampus is actually becoming a little more popular in American culture as of recent, especially since 2015, the film that we're discussing since that one came out. But culturally, the things that we find terrifying and absolutely like, no, we would never do that. Other countries have been doing it, and that's just normal for them. I mean, I've been to Japan before, and the stuff that they advertise, some of the toys that they have for kids are horrific. I love them as an adult. But I'm like, this is for children? And that's just that's just how the culture is out in other areas. So it's really no surprise. And obviously, Krampus probably worked very, very well, honestly. So he is derived from pagan tradition. Um, he's derived actually from Krampen, which means claw. That's the German word. Um, okay. So that's where they think the name Krampus came from. Uh, the earliest I've gotten... People where people started discussing Krampus or maybe he started coming around was the 11th to 13th century in Bavaria. Now okay. he's popular in Austrian culture, Bavarian, French. Fuck, they even, I'm sure even the Spaniards, they have some kind of um, character that comes in on a boat from Spain that also is kind of like a Krampus representation, but is not Krampus. <laughs> You know who I'm talking about? No, but that just oh. the idea of this goat just, you know, like paddling a boat across the water to, you know, I don't know. It's just hilarious. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, coming from another country. So that sounds like fear from another country. Like, hey, if you uh, don't watch what you're doing, the Spaniards are going to come fuck you up. So, uh, Well, I, <laughs> they're, 
the, I can that myth has some very 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 uh, you know realistic world ties. I mean, given what the Spani- how the Spaniards you know did things, <laughs> I, I'm surprised it's not more common. I mean, if it wasn't you know, <laughs> I mean they they basically if they showed up, bad stuff was happening. So. Okay, need I point out how that is socially acceptable in other countries, but out here in America, if we're like, uh-oh, the Spaniards are coming, <laughs> we're the racist country. So, anyways, uh, 1250 AD seems to be the first possible depiction of Krampus. He is of Germanic paganism. He, he has so many different religious attributes, but we'll use the Christian symbolizations that they've used so... For instance, the chains that Krampus wears, yes. they may tie him to the church, Christian uh, Christian church, and they're basically using him as a symbolization of Satan. So the chains represent Satan's binding to the church or how he is bound to the church. So I found that to be interesting. Um, kind of uh, pop culture, the bells ringing in It's a Wonderful Life would symbolize that an angel has gotten his wings. I think most people mm-hmm. know that. I haven't even seen yep. the movie and I know that. Yeah, I mean, it's in. it's most, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, the penultimate scene of the movie. I mean, it's, you know, what everybody knows. I mean, it's it's just a classic scene. Uh, well, the bells worn by Krampus are basically to warn children that he's coming. <laughs> Although, I don't think there's really any escape if you hear the bells of Krampus. Oh, But how Lord. messed up would that be is if you hear bells and you think that an angel's getting its wings, and it's really it's about you are about to be dragged down to hell. Yeah, I can just imagine a poor little American child, you know, sitting there. It's like, oh, an angel's getting its wings. It's, and all of a sudden, Krampus shows up and, you know, got his sticks ready. I mean, that would just, oh, man. Yeah. So just a couple of small facts, and I'm kind of done talking about what I know about Krampus, because really, the history and the lore is all over the place. I was really confused. I lost sleep. <laughs> um, so the bells are actually, um, what I've read is they're actually... They are to ward off evil spirits, indicating that Krampus is not necessarily an evil spirit. That's interesting. But holy shit, is he scary. I mean, come on. I know he's supposed to be a helper of Santa, but you... Okay, we'll just leave that alone. Um, And then, last but not least, I found this to be fucking hilarious, is that Krampus was banned in the 1930s in Austria because he was determined to be a socialist. <laughs> I'm not joking. This is happened. It, <laughs> is that does that have anything to do with his red clothing? I mean, is that is that what brought all this on or, or I have no idea. You know, I probably should have looked into that a little bit more. I heard it from multiple sources. Nobody ever went into why, but lots of jokes were made about how was he not allowed to vote during that election as well? <laughs> I mean, did Krampus not get his voters card? <laughs> because the funny thing about that is, is that the current, at least American rendition of Santa, is the most capitalistic thing you can think of. Because I mean, exactly. it, it's it, it was invented by Coke. I mean, a lot of people don't realize this, but the modern version of Santa Claus is a Coca-Cola invention. Just, I mean, they they added all the trimmings on there and made it what it is. They added the brightness and the cheerfulness and the jolliness. Uh, you know, I got a lot of history about Santa, and he he actually was Santa prior to Coke. Like, they had some pretty decent depictions before Coke got involved, but they really took off with it. He, they took him and made him into something he would have never been as popular had Coca-Cola not gotten involved. 
No, I mean, it, it seems like to me he was, I mean, I agree with you on that, but it seems like to me he was more of a, it's odd to say because he's supposed to be based off St. Nicholas, you know, which is, you know, a Christian saint. An but, actual person. But a lot of the depictions prior to Coke, I mean, he was, he had very Nordic, you know, like Viking-esque, like, tr- you know, qualities about him. I mean, you know, just like, I mean, there was, if I've even seen pictures of him and may- maybe they're not, you know, that you know, uh, you know, popular, but I mean, like he's got like a, you know, a, a wreath around his head that, you know, there, there's obviously the, the leaves, but there's like the pictures of him with like antlers or something that he's wearing. Yeah. I mean, just like really weird pagan vibe going on with the, the more traditional Santa Claus. So. Yeah. Santa had some really cool depictions. I do want to say briefly about Santa since we're talking about him and Krampus is the helper of Santa. So, St. Nicholas, a.k.a. Santa, was an actual person that basically did good deeds back in the day. And one of the deeds that had become popular was that Santa, even though he was a saint, he had, well, before he got his sainthood, he was a, not a bishop, or was he a bishop? He was someone in the you know, religious sect. And he, what he had money that he didn't really use because he was busy tending to his duties. And that just wasn't his deal. Well, allegedly, the story goes that he helped this father who had three daughters. And back in these days, when St. Nick was alive, for your daughter to get married, you had to give a dowry. You basically, it was almost like you had to bribe somebody to marry your daughter. Yeah. And he didn't have the money to do it, which meant more than likely his daughters were not going to get married and probably have to resort to prostitution. Oh, or wow. even if they got too old, even if they weren't prostitutes, nobody would want to marry them. They would just assume that they were prostitutes. So in order for these girls to get married, what St. Nick did was he put basically gold coins in a sack and threw it over the wall where this guy's home was, he found it and he was able to pay the dowry for each of his daughters to get married. So that's kind of where the 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 first originating story of St. Nick happened. Now, he does also have a little bit of a Jesus vibe, meaning after that, after he became a saint, you know, after he died, allegedly he came back to life and that's how we got Santa. Oh, okay. I didn't know that about him. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought I'd mention that since we were... <laughs> Starting to talk about Santa a little bit. Yeah. Very so interesting. Interesting tidbits. So I guess let's uh, let's get to the meat of this film then, I guess. Okay. We are talking this episode about Krampus, the 2015 film. Do not look at other films. I'm telling you right now, you are going to be disappointed if you go into some of these other little independent films. I hate to say it, but they are very, very bad films. And before I get into the discussion, I do have to give a rut row warning on this one. We do have another pet being uh, killed, thankfully off screen, but it does yes. happen. Um, now, this movie... did you hear the pet dying? Because I didn't, I mean, you hear <sighs> the noises. I don't hear any yelping is what I'm getting at. You you hear the yelping, I mean, a little bit. It just sounds like uh, he's angry barking. But, yeah, but it sounds like it's fighting the creature. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll get into that later. It's, it's not really you. You, that's not what I thought. And then I wouldn't have known this unless I was listening to the commentary by the director that it even, I mean, mm. I know, you know, so. Okay. But uh, this movie was written by Michael Doherty, uh, Todd Casey, and Zach Shields. Uh, it was directed by Michael Doherty, uh, famous, especially to me, for the movie Trick or Treat. I mean, he's done several Love that things. Film. 
Yeah, I mean, he's done several films with, especially with Brian Singer. He's done X Men. You know, he's done a few uh, different other like superhero movies. But Trick or Treat, I mean, that is a Halloween staple at this point. If you're not watching that on Halloween, you're doing it wrong. That just yeah, you don't uh, that's know what it. you're doing because you don't know the rules. <laughs> exactly, and Sam should pay you a visit. Mm-hmm. Um, Principal players we have in this, we have Max Engel, um, that is the son and the the primary lead of the movie, uh, played by M.J. Anthony. Um, He is the, a little bit of trivia, trivia. he is the only American child actor in this film. Every other child in the film is from uh, New Zealand. Um, He was recommended by John Favreau, of all people. Uh, Oh my God. (laughs) Exactly. How did you get John Favreau on your side? Uh, him and, and Michael Doherty are good friends, and uh, he had just filmed a movie uh, called Chef that uh, with uh, where he plays. Uh, I think it's like the son to uh, John Favreau, and he was just like, "Man, you, you this kid's an up and comer. You've got to work with him." And Michael Doherty's like, "All right, we'll get him on." And uh, it, it went from there. I mean, he's went on to star in other films with John Favreau, like Jungle Book, the Disney version, um, and. Uh, and, and actually some more Christmas movies. He's actually in uh, Bad Moms and the Christmas sequel, Bad Moms Christmas, which is... Yeah, uh, those were good. <laughs> yeah. I like the first one, the Christmas one, eh, but, you know, it, yeah. it's, 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 got some, it's got some funny parts to it. Little, also a little bit tit, or a funny little tidbit about this, this uh, actor. Um, the, Michael Doherty said he was a real ladies' man once he got him on set. Like, he was actually hitting on uh, the fiancé of one of the other writers of the movie. Like, Oh, my God. <laughs> and, he, you know, it's just the, they, they said he's definitely one to watch out for, though. He's got a lot of charisma. So, um, we got, speaking of that, uh, charisma galore, we got Tom Engel, uh, the father, played by Adam Scott, which is just, he's fantastic. I mean, in everything that he does. I mean, I've not watched a movie where I don't like Adam Scott in it. Um, of course, famous for Parks and Rec. I mean, he really uh, added a lot to that show. I, I would argue that when him and Rob Lowe came to the show, they they improved it dramatically from that point on. I mean, it, it was good. And I mean, of course, you've got classic actors, you know, uh, or that that come up from that. Um, but I mean, that, I really think it took it on its own whenever he came in. Um, you've got him in Step Brothers. Uh, he his his bona fides in uh, horror actually are that he was originally in Hellraiser Bloodlines, uh, one of his I think it's like second movie that he'd ever done, and uh, Piranha 3D, which is I'm gonna have to watch these movies now because another actor that we got coming up was in the sequel to this, and that, it just sounds like they're just fun movies, so I'm gonna have to watch these. Um, Ghosted, which a lot of people might not have watched, but I thought it was it it, it wasn't as good as it should have been. But it was a little show on Fox that they were it was kind of a combination between like supernatural and you know uh, theme and and kind of like comedy and uh, and it had potential. They just uh, Fox is kind of like Netflix. They just cut it off before it ever got there. So unfortunately, and of course, this is a great movie that we may or may not be discussing in the near future called Little Evil. So, um, he, he's, and it's a horror comedy on, on Netflix. So it's, uh, he, he's got some bona fides in, in the field besides this movie. Um, we have Sarah Engel, uh, who's the mother played by Tony Collette. And she definitely has, uh, some credentials when it comes to horror films. Uh, she is an Australian actress and, uh, she was in the movie Sixth Sense, um, which goes back to one of our ratings. Uh, we got, you know, uh, I believe it's Malcolm Crow, which is um, 
a character played by Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And um, she was in a, a Fright Night remake, which I don't know if you've seen that one, but that that's actually a pretty decent remake. I, there's Not the remake. I've only seen the original. Yeah, it's it's... I don't know. There's elements of it that are not as good. I mean, I, I love the campiness of the original, and I, and and obviously, I mean, the the head vampire, um, Chris Sarandon, he he's the he's the voice of uh, Jack Skellington, or the talking voice at least. I mean, you you know, you, you got a classic film there, but the new movie does have some uh, elements to it that I, that I do kind of like. It's it's creepier at times. It's set in like this uh, weird subdivision that's kind of being developed out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, like I think it's uh, lost or in Nevada or something. It's out in the desert area, anyways. It's got like a it's it's way more secluded feeling somehow than, than oh my the god, rich... I have seen that. I'm a liar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, I did like that. They did I, a pretty I... good job. Uh, the vampire net uh, was it is it Colin Farrell I believe yep. Colin yeah yes he, it was and I actually liked him he is he has way more intensity and way more uh, just I mean he, he's way more scary than Chris Sarandon was Chris Sarandon had that that charm to him you could believe he was a vampire that could you know steal your girlfriend from you but uh, Colin Farrell's like the guy that's like you don't want to mess with because he is going to kill everybody in your family. So, and she, you know, uh, Tony Collette played the mother to the character Anton. I can't. I'm blanking. On, I'm blanking on his last name. He sadly passed away at a young age. But, um, anyways, she was in that movie. Uh, she was recently in the movie Knives Out, which is not necessarily a horror movie, but it's kind of got like the the murder mystery vibe to it. And of course. Hereditary, which is one of the most frightening films that's came out in recent memory, and uh, she definitely goes out of her way in that movie and p- really plays it up. So I've heard, and I have not seen Hereditary yet, and I am saving it for to watch it for the first time when we review that. Yeah, it's might it's, be a while. Yeah, it might be a while, but it's definitely worth watching. I mean, it it's one of the only movies that that's actually disturbed me on a deep level. So I'll just leave it at that before we, you know, watch it eventually. Um, we have Beth Engel, uh, in the movie. She's the daughter, uh, played by Stefania Levy Owen. Uh, she is a New Zealand actress. Uh, the main movies I saw that were, you know, I guess American based that she might've been in were lovely bones and, uh, vice, which lovely bones kind of has a horror ish theme to it. Um, you have Howard in the movie. I don't. I don't think they give a last name. Maybe they do, but to, to the in-laws. But he he plays the brother-in-law in the movie, and uh, or it's played by David Koechner. And I love him as an actor. I mean, a comedic yes, actor. Yes, I do too. He he just. I've got on here a list of the movies. I mean, he's in the Goods, which if you've never seen that, it's a it's a very underrated comedy. It's got Jeremy Jeremy Piven. It's got uh, David Koechner, Will Ferrell. I mean, you just run the gamut of good people in the movie. They're like selling these used cars, and it's like they're all in a competition with each other. I mean, and you can just imagine, you know, those those actors like just really hamming it up. Um, of course, you've got him in Anchorman in the sequel. I mean, that's what he's primarily known for is Champ Kind, you know, the sports director or, you know, the one that, that covers the sports. You've got him. You've got him. I can't think of the word. Uh, you, you've got him in the movie Waiting. He plays <laughs> uh, kind of the, the head of the little franchise or that they're serving, you know, the food at. And he's a... Uh, and, you know, of course, that movie's got some big hitters like Ryan Reynolds and, and you know, Luis Guzman and some like that. Um 
He's in Talladega Nights. I mean, you know, Will Ferrell again. Um, Just, I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, he's in some of the bigger comedy movies. And he's actually done a fair amount of um, uh, horror movies. He was was in Final Destination 5. He was in Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, which is actually a pretty decent little, I mean, I know zombies are played out, but it's a pretty decent little horror comedy movie if you've never seen it. It's, It's worth checking out. And... He's in the sequel to the movie that Adam Scott was in. He's in Piranha 3 Double D. So, I mean, it's... Really? Yeah. <laughs> so, it's kind of funny that both of them played in, in that series. I mean... Yeah. Um, uh, and, and the interesting thing about him is that he was actually put into the storyboards for this film, Krampus, before he was even cast. Because the guy who was who's the storyboard artist actually was watching Anchorman and placed Champ Kind into the scenes... And then, you know, into the drawings he was doing for Howard, and then they got David Koechner. So, I, you know, I oh, guess that's Jesus a little Christ. bit of a Christmas miracle there for him. Oh, that's funny. Um, uh, rounding out the cast, you've got Linda, who's the sister-in-law, uh, played by Allison Tolman. Um, she, uh, a little bit of trivia about her, she actually loves horror movies, and she was actually the first cast because she actually begged to be in this movie uh, because she heard about it and just wanted to be in it so much. And... Uh, she is probably best known for her, uh, the first season of Fargo. I believe it was on FX. She plays a really, really good part in that. It's, it's, it's one of the only seasons I've seen of Fargo, but it's, it's great. And she was in the first season of Castle Rock. I don't know if she's in the second, cause I've never, I've not watched the second one all the way through yet, but she was definitely in the first season of that as well, which is, you know, based upon Stephen King's, you know, series of books, um, kind of loosely based in that, that universe at least. You've got uh, Aunt Dorothy in the movie, played by Conchata Pharrell. And a lot of people might not know that name, but they'd know her if they saw her. She was very, very famous in Two and a Half Men. You know, got that sass to her. You know, she was always, you know, had to come back for the guys especially. Uh, She's, uh, one of her more famous movies was Mystic Pizza, you know, opposite Cher and some, you know, other big names. And as far as horror fans fans are concerned she was uh, in edward scissorhands and also lent a voice to frankenweenie so apparently she was in good graces with uh um tim burton but i and i i say was unfortunately because she did pass away this year uh in october sadly so she is no longer with us but she was a i mean very accomplished actress she's been in a ton of things and uh, also a member of, uh, uh, you know, formerly from Appalachia, she was from West Virginia. So, you know, Aww. shout out to her for, you know, for all that. Um, we have Omi Engel, uh, who's the grandmother, uh, in the movie, uh, played by Krista Stadler. Uh, I don't, uh, know much about her because, uh, she's an Austrian born actress and a lot of her movies are in Austria and in, in that region. Um, she was a last minute casting according to the director because they, they really, they got down to the wire. They didn't have anybody good to play the Omi character. And then they came across, uh, just at the last second when they didn't think they was going to get anybody, just another Christmas miracle as, as Doherty describes it. Sadler audition. She was exactly what they wanted. She was even familiar with the legend of Krampus. I mean, it was like, you know, yeah. perfect. So primarily spoke, uh, German. So I wonder, I don't know if that's her, one of her languages, um, it seemed very natural. Yeah, and I mean, she she definitely lent the credibility to the film that you needed for that particular character, the one who 
is kind of the, you know, the, the one who knows about what's going on, the one who kind of, you know, gives the information to everybody else about, you know, the actual, uh, you know, creature itself. Because, I mean, you always have that in a lot of these horror movies. You've got the one person who's kind of the the one who is like, oh, let me tell you about Jason or let me tell you about, you know, they, there's always somebody. And she, she definitely gave that, you know, that character, you know, what it needed to be able to emphasize the legend of Krampus. Um, you have, for the rest of the family members, you have Stevie, who's one of the cousins, uh, Lolo Owen, who's actually a sister in real life to Stefania. So, uh, to, uh, and also a new, uh, all the rest of the kids are from New Zealand, but she, it's kind of, you know, funny that, you know, she, her, you know, two sisters are in the movie together. Uh, you got Jordan, who's uh, played by Queenie Samuels. She's the other twin, I guess. I guess they're supposed to be twins. They looked about the same age. They don't, you know, really look alike, but um yeah. kind of the tomboy cousins in the movie uh you got howie jr uh who's played by uh, maverick flack and uh baby chrissy who's played by sage hoonfield so that kind of rounds out the the rest of the people in the cast um getting into the movie i just want to say first of all a little bit of trivia here i love whenever universal changes their logo at the beginning of a movie to kind of fit the theme of whatever they're doing uh they do that quite a bit i think they might have done if i remember right on zombie land they did that to where they showed like the planet on fire basically or, or just like random chaos on the planet if, if i remember if, if that's one of them I, but they, they do it in a lot of their other movies I, I know that and i just love in this one where they have like the frozen over logo and it even extends over to the legendary pictures you know, it kind of gives you that even before you get in the movie, you know, you know, it kind of puts you in that frame of mind that you're, you know, dealing with this deep winter and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. The Doherty actually wanted to uh, change the logo to the old 1980s ones because he he intended this movie to be a throwback to Gremlins like we talked about earlier and kind of the banter and and he and Poltergeist and some of those other movies where, you know, it, they were. A little bit more kid-like, had the puppets going on, the practical effects, and, it, and it's definitely that. I mean, you know, we'll get into that later in the discussion, but he wanted that throwback element, and he even wanted that to extend to the logo, but they turned him down on that. So, unfortunately, he didn't get the old 1980s Universal logo, but he did get the Frozen one, so at least it, you know, kind of, you know, gave a little bit of, of that vibe before you even get into that movie. Um Starting out, I, what what are your thoughts on this? Because I love the, the way this movie starts. It it perfectly sums up what you're getting in this movie before you ever get into it with the whole Black Friday esque shopping spree that's going on. <laughs> um. Oh my God. So it's really hard to watch because it's pretty annoying. You know, the people just treating each other like assholes. Uh, no care about you know what's going on for other people. Just wants to the greed that was shown basically in this one scene. It was very, it irritated the shit out of my husband. He was like, right off the bat, I don't, I would never want to be a part of that. <laughs> um, I personally have partaken in, I call it Dark Thursday. Oh yeah, yeah. Right after Thanksgiving dinner, go out, start shopping. I usually don't shop on Black Friday because I've gone out on Dark Thursday. Um, but I can tell you from out here in California, I have never experienced any shopping experience like this or what you've seen on the news, either on Black Friday or Dark Thursday. Uh, so uh, I have missed out, but 
I've also gotten my goods. So, <laughs> well, I, I can't say that you've missed out. I don't participate in all this nonsense, but uh, this does happen in my neck of the woods. You get to the Midwest, and all the stories you hear about people getting the cops called on them, and you know, like the scenes in this show, like people getting tased, and you know, just uh, I mean, they happen. I mean, and they've happened pretty close to home too. So I can't. I can't say that I, I've completely avoided that because they happen close enough. And it's not even on Black Friday. I mean, we sometimes have that around the like release of big video game systems, like currently the PS5 and the, and the new Xbox. I'm surprised that we haven't heard more stories about that. But, you know, I, I guess it's just the times that we're in. But, I mean, prior to this, I remember especially with the play, PlayStation 3, I believe it was, uh, PlayStation 2 was pretty bad as well. Like, there was actually people fighting in lines over that. So, I mean, it's not just, you know, around the holidays, but the holidays seem to make it worse for some reason. So, Yeah, I've never quite understood that. Like, I get the deals, okay, I got kids, and I want to get shit half off, but I've never had to fight anybody for anything and i guess if i ever was gonna have to fight somebody i'd be like here you have it because it's just not worth it to me you know yeah and i mean i don't i don't some people go in for that and i don't i guess they don't have enough drama in their life but that's not me uh <laughs> Um, but I, I just love it as far as the movie goes because it just sets the tone so perfectly it's sarcastic you've got Bing Crosby's it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas just I mean a Christmas Christmas staple just playing in the background you know and it's so warm and you know got that nostalgia going on and you got all these people just like tearing into each other I mean you got like there's even scenes of you know like uh I mean, in addition to people getting tased and all that, you got like the retail workers that are all geared up and look what's look like riot gear, you know, ready to, you know, deal with the public that's rushing in to take them out. I mean, it's, it's a pretty sad but succinct, uh, you know, commentary on what we currently have as far as our holiday seasons. And, um, and, and they even throw in there just a little bit extra thing. They show the children that are like sitting in Santa's lap and just crying. And I mean, that, that's, that fits perfectly too, because I mean, how many people, how many kids, get sat in Santa's lap and you got this creepy guy that you've never seen before and you just start bawling. I mean, I, did, did you have any problems like that with your kids whenever they were younger or? Yeah, I got a couple photos. I actually have one really good one of my tub of lard son laughing his ass off and my daughter looks like she is not impressed with what's going on. <laughs> if anything, she looks like, look, you, we've all seen Firestarter, okay? Or is it, was that, is that the name of that movie with Drew yeah, Barrymore? Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay, if fire, if she could start a fire with her eyes, she would have. It's a really good photo. <laughs> um, and then of course, uh, before before we get out of the scene, we've got you know we we see our leads. You know, finally at the tail end of it, we've got Max up on stage. Looks like they're doing some kind of retelling of the nativity and. And he's in like, you know, one of the, the, I don't know if what character he's supposed to be playing, but dressed like, you know, one of the wise men or something like that, just belting another kid that's like punching him and it's all in slow motion. And like, you know, everybody's like, just like, what the hell's going on here? It's just, the, like I said, it's the perfect way to set up the movie. <laughs> um, a little bit of trivia about this, though. It, this whole scene... They, they, they couldn't get the rights or the ability to film it in the U.S. for whatever reason, and I, I guess, you know, I can understand why. No big box store in the U.S. would allow them to use their stores. They, they just didn't want that association with what's going on in this, even though it's the truth of what's really going on. So they were filming most of the rest of the stuff in New Zealand anyways because they worked with WIDA, which, you know, of course, Lord of the Rings is their most famous, you know, that and Hobbit, you know, big time uh, uh, effects company, <clears throat> but we, um, 
but they 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 moved it to New Zealand and filmed it there. And the funny thing about that was is they they had to really, really, really stretch to find enough people of, I guess you want to call it ethnic diversity on the island to be, or country, I guess at large, to be able to make it look like it might be in the U.S. Because I guess there was just not a lot of people there that wouldn't, you know, the traditional Kiwis that you think of. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard about that about New Zealand. Like they, especially the type of people they use for modeling, they have a brand that they stick with. And I, when I say a brand, I mean a type of person and they really don't go outside of that box. So I could see that being a problem in filming when you need people of different ethnic backgrounds. Yeah. And they, they, they wanted to be, you know, to make it look like it was an American melting pot. And they, they, they said that was one of the hardest things they said. Nothing else about the scene was re- about filming. It was really that hard. It's just, they, they had to spend forever just combing the depths of the entire country just to be able to find enough people to make it look semi, you know, Well, let's be honest what they have in New Zealand. They have white people or they have people that look Samoan. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, that, um we um but you know the movie moves on from this point we you know cut to a a scene of the night i believe it's a 1951 version of a christmas carol and we focus on that for a second as it's playing in the uh, and i believe it's the kitchen area of the home and that was a very deliberate scene uh, by the director he wanted it to uh, be foreshadowing for the overall theme of the movie you know it's it's which is horror <laughs> horror but also the the theme of um where you take somebody who has lost their christmas spirit and they have to be scared to fucking death <laughs> to get it back basically which is yeah, i mean that, that, that's that's yeah. ultimately what's going on in both christmas carol and in this movie and uh, honestly, in a few other Christmas films, when you get right down to it, I mean, you know, Home Alone takes that same concept. I mean, you got, you know, Kevin does the same thing. He loses his spirit. He has to, you know, he gets attacked by, you know, uh, Marv and, 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 and Harry. And, you know, it takes that adversity to be able to, you know, come back into the spirit and realize what he lost. So, I mean, it, it's kind of a revolving theme. I think that all, you know, dates back to Dickens' tale, which is, you know, uh, shows how much, uh, I mean, of a good story it really is at heart. Um, oh, yeah. It, it holds up very well. And, uh, yeah, and there's just so many variations that, that you can do with it, and it still works, and you can still modernize it. So um, the, basically the family at this point is, is, is shown dealing with the aftermath of Max's outburst. Uh, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. Sarah, the mother, is hanging pictures. Which, uh, in the movie, I wish they would have left a deleted scene. In the movie, they show just a picture of her hanging up the most recent one. And, of course, right before she's done with it, she realizes the creepy Santa Claus is giving the side eye to her daughter, you know, which is creepy as hell considering her daughter's, you know, not of age. But uh, just kind of fits the theme of how degenerated Christmas is at this point, at least for the family. But if you yeah. but if you watch the deleted scenes, there's actually four different. She she goes back and reviews all four photos or pictures she's got on the walls, and it starts out they're just a very iconic, you know, just happy family on the the leftmost side, the you know the the oldest picture, and each successive picture just you know you can see more just like uh, either boredom, uh, just disengagement, or you know, or just general hostility in the family's face with each successive picture leading down to that last one. So. I felt like that one. The jolly spirit just fades over time. Yeah, and I, and I think it's perfect, and I don't know why they cut it, but, 
I mean, I think, but but at least the one they left in the movie just kind of shows where they're at. I mean, it's just the holiday is degenerated to where it, it lacks all the meaning that, that it should have. Um, you have Omi in the kitchen ba- making cookies with Max. And here's where we kind of get a little bit more foreshadowing into the movie, too. Um, that she's, you know, brings up the letter about Santa and, you know, trying to gauge where he's at with his Christmas spirit, knowing he's, she knows in her heart. I mean, you can tell from the scene that he's the only one that's holding the Christmas spirit for the rest of the family. She knows that yeah, he's the last, yeah, hope. he's the last one keeping, you know, the, the terror at bay that will come later. And, uh, when Max turns around and asks her if she believes in Santa, she has this dark hesitation about her, and that that's one of the more foreshadowing moments of the film or whatever because, it, you know, she, she knows something else darker is going on, but it, you can see it in her face. She's pained when he asks her that. So um, you've got um, a little bit more of the family shown. Tom takes a phone call from work, which, you know, you can see that Sarah's disappointed with him, um, that he won't even take off for the holidays from his job. I mean, there's kind of this hint. Uh, I don't know that they, I don't feel like they show this in the movie, but Doherty talks about in the in, in the commentary that like Tom, and I think maybe even Adam Scott mentioned this in like some of his uh, interviews that Tom is one of those people who is always gone most of the time on Christmas or around Christmas time, like on flights and stuff. So for him to even be home is a big thing, but he still, even though he's home, he yeah. won't let work go away. And I don't know, to me, that kind of even plays back into a Christmas carol because it's almost like Scrooge, you know, like Scrooge sees no point in taking off for Christmas. It's another day, you know, another way to earn a dollar, and it's kind of what Tom's doing. I mean, he won't he won't even disengage and, you know, spend time with his family. He's still got business to do. So um, the rest of the family, uh, here's the very upsetting news that the in-laws and the cousins are coming, and they all deal with it in their different way. You know, Sarah, uh, you know... Um, it's Sarah's family, and, you know, the rest of them, you can tell they just can't stand any of them. Uh, they yeah. all go to their different uh, parts of the home and kind of uh, the, you see the separation in the family. Beth's seen on there chatting with her boyfriend online, and Tom's in there taking this phone call, and, and everybody else is just kind of separated. Um, and, and then you hear this loud rumbling or whatever and that shakes the house and and everybody knows exactly what's coming up at this point they it's the thing that they've been most worried about anyways when it comes to dealing with the holidays which is i think fair i mean you know most families i mean there's always that one segment it's like oh no don't tell me they're coming you know it's like you know everybody's got that (laughs) you know it's 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 i mean i feel like it's very realistic and it's depiction but the basic takeaway at this point in the film is just you see how separated the family is. They're they're not together. They're off doing their own things. They're not engaged with one another whatsoever. Um, and it's only made worse when the in-laws come in because you've got when they what when they come in, they are the di- I mean diametrically opposed to the family that we're introduced to. I mean we we Tom and Sarah and the, you know and Max and Beth and all of them they're you know white white collar family more well-to-do you can tell by what you know how their house is decorated and kind of how they are and then you got this family coming in and and they're as blue collar as can be i mean you know the i mean right down i mean to the you know conservative uh republican-esque you know nature that they have you know they're the the gun owners are the ones that uh more i guess redneck if you want to think of them that way and and they're just, yeah, they do not get along with each other. You, I mean, it, it plays into the next few scenes. 
uh, whenever they're at the dinner table and they're like discussing politics and stuff, which is something you should really not do with family if you don't get along with them to begin with. But, you know, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's <laughs> night and day. And what makes it worse for Sarah is the fact that she, bombshell aunt dorothy's being brought in too and and she doesn't even appreciate this little tidbit information because of all things she was she was ready to deal with her sister and and her family but she wasn't ready to deal with aunt dorothy on top of it so that kind of reminds me of uh aunt edna from (laughs) national lampoon's vacation how cousin (laughs) eddie and (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Does she die in that movie? Like, yeah, okay. She sure does. Um, but speaking <laughs> of that, I mean, I kind of get, I get a very National Lampoon's vibe from the, this, this scene, like, especially with the vehicle pulling up and it rumbling and all that. It, it almost reminds me of like Cousin Eddie's, mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, yeah, the so mobile home, and then, vibe of course, it. the scene later, the dog's, like, you know, eating from under the table, which you can tell just annoys Sarah to no end. It's like, why are you letting this dog eat off, you know, eat off my floor? I, you know, I have to, and then one of the people makes the comment, I think it's even her sister, it's like, well, you know, Aunt Sarah has to keep everything sparkling clean because she don't, you know, it's like, you, <laughs> it's just, I mean, what, the, the family does not care for each other at this moment in the movie. I mean, not at all. Um, there's a big scene uh, or there's they're part of the scene where they're fighting uh, uh, this is a little bit of trivia uh, over the fact that I, th- I think Sarah mentions that she's like, well, you would appreciate it if I would have fixed hot dogs with macaroni and cheese. And they were like, yeah, actually we would have compared to this crap, you you know, that we can't even pronounce. Oh my God. And uh, the trivia about that is that uh, the director, Michael Doherty said that that was one of his favorite meals growing up as a kid, even though he was a little bit more white collar. He said they still, you know, he's like, uh, hot dogs and macaroni and cheese. He said even to this day cheese. he still loves it. He said he just had to throw that in there as like a little job or whatever, you know, to to kind of stir things up. But um, but all this culminates in the basically the scene between Max getting in and yet another fight, this time with his, you know, twin cousins. Uh, they're, you know, they're making fun of him over the fact that he's got this, you know, letter made out to Santa. It's like, what are you still a baby? You know, you're writing the Santa Claus who believes in this crap. You know, they tell him this horrible story about how Santa Claus crashes into the mountains and has to survive by feeding off the rest of the reindeer and make this horrible little pun about eight tiny reindeer. Get it? Eight ATE, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, Oh my God, you know, and he just can't take it anymore. And he, he gets in an argument with them. He gets sent upstairs and, that's when the bad thing happens. That's whenever Max finally, he, he's hesitating. He's got the last little flicker of his holiday spirit. You can see it in his eyes, and he's just like, screw it. I'm done. Nobody else cares about this. I'm not going to either. And instead of putting, he's in the process of putting it back in the envelope, and he just takes it back out, takes it to the window, rips it up, and throws it in the sky. And that's whenever you see, because that's when you the, know it's you over. Know, the pieces just magically get sucked up into the, the heavens, basically, and 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 you got this like ominous uh, music playing as as it does, which I thought was kind of interesting because it kind of reminded me too. This is another throwback to another film. It reminded me a little bit of Home Alone, where Kevin makes the wish, you know, to his mother. He's like, "Well, I wished I could be alone or whatever," and then that's whenever you know the storm comes in shortly thereafter, you know, to to cause all the mayhem in that movie. It's kind of got that vibe to it. Oh my God, it does. This is the part of the movie where Doherty said it's a pure holiday movie. At this point, if past the point where the the letter flies up in the sky if it would have continued on you could have made just a regular holiday movie out of it i mean it just has the family elements the you know a little bit of sniping comedy back and forth but 
that's not what we got. We've got a horror movie. So this is the part of the movie where it branches off and it actually becomes the horror movie it was meant to be. In the best way. And it takes off. Yeah, it really takes off. Um, it's uh, in, in the original script he had for this movie, he had it being more of a horror film right from the start. But that was part of the problem because in his original script, he had Krampus like right from the start, just going through town, picking off people left and right, which... You know, that could have been a decent movie. It could have, but he I mean, we would have enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, horror fans would have liked it, but the reason he didn't go with that was because when he, he got to a point where he just didn't feel like that was enough of a movie to really focus on. So, and he, 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 he wanted another angle to it, and that's whenever one of his co-writers came up with the idea. It's like, well, listen, I don't want to shit on Christmas. That's literally what he says in the commentary. He's like, I did not want to shit on Christmas. He said, I love the holiday. He's like, why don't we lean into the family? And that's whenever the spark came for Doherty and the, the other writer. It's like, man, that's what we needed. That was the one thing that needed to break this script. Let's make it a family movie first and then put the horror elements in. And that's where we got the movie that we got. So this well, whole yeah. first... And also, if you're paying attention to details, it is implied that Krampus went through this town and wiped it out. You got the uh, snowmen? Yes. You got them going through the empty homes where you can clearly see Krampus has visited. Yes. Yes. So... And I mean, so he, he gets the movie once later on, but I think that it was smart whenever they, they decided to make it. I mean, this, and especially to spend all this time. I mean, this is like, I mean, this is a good chunk of the movie at the beginning where we're not dealing with anything Krampus related. It's just, you know, comedy between, a few, you know, some comedic swipes, you know, snipes against each other, for, you know, by very talented comedic actors and actresses. And I mean, it's just played as like a straight holiday movie, but I think that's great because you get to know the family before the horror begins so you know what you're dealing with it gives them time to establish you know what they want to do before they they kick into that part and it's kind of important for you to feel the emotion when it gets to a boiling point yeah and and you need exactly and you need to know why you know why it means so much later and we'll get into that why whenever the bad stuff starts happening that they when they come together how i mean you need that that previous you know family time to be able to realize how far apart they were and how Krampus is really, despite every bad thing he's doing, is actually doing something great for the family because he's actually bringing them together the way they were meant to be, but they they couldn't because of their own, you know, uh, just idiotic problems, basically. So um, another little thing that that I never noticed until Doherty, you know, mentioned it, and and it's really cool, is the whole color tone of the movie changes at this point. Right after the, the, you know, the, the letter flies up into the sky, you have, you go from these warm, you know, very bright holiday tones to this very cold, bluish tone to the rest mm-hmm. of the film. And it doesn't come back. The whole movie back. looks cold. Yeah. And, and you don't get that warmth back at all until the, you know, the final scene. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. It, you know, it, it, it's the act break in the movie where we go into the second act and the horror begins. Um, but getting into that, you know, overnight a blizzard happens. Again, kind of like Home Alone, there's a blizzard overnight out of nowhere and causes the mayhem that ensues. Uh, there's just a massive amount of snow dropped. I mean, I, the amount, the, the work they did to create these effects, considering it was all done on a sound stage, uh, it, it's amazing because it looked cold. I mean, it, the, I loved what they did with the snow in this movie. I mean, it really, really added to the atmosphere, I thought. Yeah. 
basically the whole suburb that they're in is a howling tundra. I mean, it's there's they've got all these weird snowmen. Max sees through the window. He even mentions he's like, "Hey, where'd these come from?" Very reminiscent of the scarecrows in uh, the yard of the couple that at the beginning of Trick or Treat. You know, they got all these yep. scarecrows up. It's it's got that vibe to it, bringing that by that back from that movie. This is the point in the movie where the DHL driver knocks or you know rings the bell they they you know they come to the door and he's and they're like where's that extra bag from and he's like i don't know maybe one the guys in brown delivered that one you know and that's (laughs) and and wow yeah and and that's a setup for the later in the movie when the gifts from krampus you know come to life you know that's that's the foreshadowing or the setup for that part of the movie um of course at this point we have beth she's concerned uh she can't contact her boyfriend. Something's wrong. You know, he's not responding back to her and nobody really suspects anything at this point. So, you know, Sarah's like, fine, you can go out, you know, just try to be back within an hour. You know, this is, uh, this is crazy. You know, the weather we've got. Did you see the storm that was outside? They let her go walk in that. Yeah. I saw that. And I'm like, this right here shows how far they fought as a family, because I don't care how, worried she was about her boyfriend i would have never i mean i would have said no if you're going to go i'll i'll drive you over there i would not let my even if it's just a few houses away i would not let her walk out in that that is oh my god you know what my husband said because i was like that's insane i would never he's like well you don't live in an area like that and i'm like goddamn skippy i don't but if i did (laughs) i would not let my daughter go walk in that well, I mean, granted, we don't get a lot of snow here in Appalachia either. So, I mean, you know, but I, I wouldn't. I mean, there's just no way. I mean, anything looked like that, you know, growing up, my family was, they were like, no, you're not going out in that. What do you think? You're she crazy. She couldn't even see, like, what, more than, like, seven feet in front of her? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I was going to get into in this next little part. When she goes out, I mean, this, to me, is the best part of the movie. This this is where they dial up the horror to an 11. And I mean, oh, yeah. it's, it is so creepy outside. I mean, you got the snowmen, of course, and they're adding to it, but just the howling wind, the, you know, the, how dark it is outside. I mean, the color tone they've added, the, the, the deep snow that they made, which is, is funny because it's an interesting combination of like different things they used to make that snow. They had like regular foam tore up they had a lot of it that they waded through was like torn up diapers which is really wow. interesting <laughs> um That's expensive and, snow yeah and and not only that but they said that the the deep snow would actually pull you under to a certain degree so they couldn't wear uh, shoes when they were filming those scenes where they were wading through the really really thick stuff so oh they, because if you did you'd lose your shoe when you came back out that's how oh my thick God. <laughs> But, uh, and then of course for the very, I mean, for the stuff that covered them on their heads, they used like just basically bubbles, you know, that you get like, you know, foam type bubbles, like wet, you know, kind of thing to kind of get that wet snow appearance. So, I mean, they just, but it, that, that, that scene is just, I mean, it really amps up the horror. I mean, it, and it just, it's so creepy when she goes outside and she's like going through all this. And then shortly thereafter, we get our first sign of Krampus. Beth hears this weird sound off in the distance, looks over to one of the houses, and lo and behold, you've got big creepy Krampus just, you know, standing on one of the rooftops, kind of staring at her, you know, from the shadows. And um, very, I mean, very good design on this creature in this movie. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I know how Krampus is personified in a lot of other things, but the especially when we get in later, the mask and everything else they add to him, I, this to me is the best version of Krampus that I think I could ever see. 
Yeah. Uh, you got the horns. I mean, you got the huge hooves. I mean, he's massive. They actually said that the, the, the rig for this thing was almost eight foot whenever it was extended to its full height, even though most of the movie it's hunched over. Uh, Whoa. They put some, yeah. They put, and the guy who was in it was only five foot eight. So, oh I my mean, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he couldn't see, this is another little bit of trivia, he couldn't see in the rig for this thing. He actually had to have a camera set up inside that allowed him to see visually what he was looking at outside. So he was, he said he had sensory deprivation in the suit. Like he, he basically was, it was like he was in some kind of weird, I don't know, um, virtual reality unit whenever, I mean, what it felt like. I mean, it's what, I mean, just the way he described it, it's what it seemed like to me. Like he had no sensations, you know, he couldn't touch anything. Cause those what they had these like extensions added on to give him those long fingers and all that. So he couldn't touch anything. He was totally enclosed in the suit. Couldn't see anything other than a little, camera that was showing him what was going in front of him i I can't even imagine what it'd been like to be in that thing um it weighed 70 pounds by the way oh my (laughs) god so when you see krampus and it looks like he's you know got a lot of you know there's a lot of bulk to him and he's got i mean just when you see him walking you can sense this that there's just a lot of um weight to the character it's it's really there i mean the the actor who played him even said that he's like yeah it's i think he said 35 kilograms about 70 pounds he said it was very very heavy uh to to work around in and um and it was all practical the only scenes they filmed with uh, krampus that were digital was the scenes where he's jumping from rooftop to rooftop well yeah funny thing was is that the houses themselves uh, were digital in the scene where he's standing there. Like they filmed, I mean, because uh, they had practical houses, but it was all a soundstage and they used like force perception uh, to be able to, uh, to get the, because they, they had these houses like one third the size of what they would normally be. So they were very, I mean, very small houses, but the way they were set up in the background and the way they, they did the digital work around them, that's actually how they made them look like real houses. Like Yeah, it was like an illusion. So they did yeah. a good job. Yeah, which harkens back to something in Elf, because they did something similar in the scenes where Will Ferrell was interacting with the elves. I mean, it was the same kind of setup. They had the elves in the background. Will Ferrell in the foreground made him look like he was a lot larger. So they kind of played up the, you know, that sort of thing, you know. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh Beth is chased by Krampus at this point. I mean, he's jumping from rooftop to rooftop. You got that creepy howling in the distance. I mean, that really adds to the scene. I mean, that howling mm-hmm. just is crazy. And uh, which is something that Doherty comments on. He said he really used sound as the focus for to you know for the team to be able to amp up the horror in the movie. You know, in addition to the other things in it, uh, because. We'll get into this later, but they scaled back the horror when it came to the actual creatures because that was and that was intentional because they they wanted this to be a dark fairy tale for kids, so they didn't want it too scary. So they they allowed the sounds to add to the ambiance of the horror and you know some of the images, but they wanted the actual way that the creatures interacted to be more whimsical and you know uh, more comedic, if you will. So I mean, okay, it, that it, makes sense. Yeah, so they did, they wanted to they they put it out there, but they pulled their punches basically. Because honestly, with the way this scene was filmed, and the way that everything looked and the sound and everything, if they went straight horror, this movie would be a, 
our, our rating system would be a Beetlejuice. It would be a ghost with the most. There's, I mean, this this whole lead-up scene here with Beth, I mean, is amped up to, you know, 11. It's, it's you know, pure horror. And if they would have went that way for the rest of the movie, this would have been a top-of-the-line, scare-you-out-of-your-pants horror movie. But they, they pulled punches later to bring it back in line so they could make more of a, you know, like I said, a kid's film. So, But then you have Beth, you know, being chased. She comes upon the DHL driver. He's got this horrible, scared you know, rictus death mask or whatever on his face. He's been frozen to death in place or whatever, showing you how, or, or and possibly scared. I mean, he probably died of a heart attack too, whatever he saw, because that's kind of he the image. He was frozen you in fear, literally. Literally. Um, and she's freaked out by this. She has nowhere else to go. So, of course, she hides under his vehicle. And that's when we get our first sighting of Krampus's hooves as they clomp down, right, you know, and then you get that weight effect again uh, in front of the vehicle. And he slowly, you know, walks around the vehicle, amping up the tension. You know, is he going to find her? I mean, she's just laying there. Of course, he has to be hearing her. I mean, he made it this far, you know, chasing yeah. her. And he's gone. He's just gone. But in his place is a little jack-in-the-box. And that's where we kind of get the hint. I don't know if you saw this. You only catch it for a split second, but it is one of those creatures that appears later in the movie because it's got the same face. Like I figured it, comes- it out later in the film. It's got the same face because I only noticed this recently rewatching this for this, you know, uh, review and you see it. It's got that clown mask as it pops out of the thing. But, you know, it cuts away as soon as it shows it. You hear Beth screaming and she's gone. She's gone for the rest of the movie until the, the final end scene. A little bit of trivia for this part. And this ties back to a film that we've previously covered is that this was the the breath effects in this movie were digital. But, tying back to The Exorcist, they actually filmed the actors in a freezer and caught their actual breath digitally and then put it back in the movie after the fact. So, even though the breaths were digital, they were also practical. Fucking shit. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really cool. So, um... This one went a little bit longer than we expected it to, but of course with a movie like this, it's kind of hard to break it down in a, in a shorter amount of time. Just there's so much going on. So uh, this will be a two-parter, and uh, you can catch us next week for the second half of this where we actually break down and really discuss the, 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 the bulk of this movie. Uh, La Urena, peace be with you. And with your spirit. <laughs>